Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and colleague, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm ready for the All-Star break. I am also very ready for the All-Star break. At the expense of sounding like somebody complaining about getting to cover basketball, I'm just kind of ready for a break from basketball. Like, I'll probably watch a bunch of college stuff too. But, um, you know, having uh, having a couple of days to just relax and not uh, – not be as locked in every single night is going to be kind of nice. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I do have quick uh, house cleaning thing for everyone. I have had a couple of people ask me about it. I am in the works of getting the intro redone. So don't worry. Um, you will not be hearing Karis LeVert's name anymore at some point in the near future. I'm hoping by the time the, you know we have our next pod after the All-Star break. Um, other than that, Caitlin, are you excited for uh, for the Pacers to play the Bulls again at some point soon and have the Tristan Thompson video come up? Yeah, I mean, I think that there should be a tribute video for Tristan yeah. Thompson. Those last four games are really going to stick in my mind. I mean, they should. Uh, some okay screens, some some defense. I, I don't. I don't I'm not going to attribute anything to the defense, but yeah, th- those were certainly four games tra- played by Tristan Thompson. I mean, he had a season high last night, Mark. He had a season high of 17 points and went eight of nine. Um, I think that says a lot about Tristan Thompson and also Thomas Bryant, who uh, I guess played some defense last night. I don't, I don't. I think that the Wizards were actually better in, in the minutes when he wasn't playing. I don't know. Um, but to Tristan's credit, like he came in and did what they needed him to do for the most part. He didn't play outside of himself. Um, I thought it was valuable to have him on the court at times at the end of the Cleveland game for the reasons we said on the last pod, when the bigs were switching out, you could have him in there and another way to punish a switch is to be able to get an offensive rebound. Um, Like you said, he did some decent things screening. I actually liked it in the wizards game when they stopped switching Jalen and Tristan out to the perimeter and he was just in a drop and they did some help coverage. I thought that's when their defense looked a little bit better last night um, in spurts. So I don't think it was terrible that he was there, but like we had said in the past, like once this roster's healthy, there really wasn't going to be a reason for him to be getting minutes and for his sake, if he wants to go and be on a potential contender in the Eastern conference, I can completely understand that because, you know, if, if miles and Isaiah Jackson are back, you already have both of them who definitely should be getting minutes as well as Jalen Smith and what Terry Taylor has been showing and what O'Shea Brissett's been showing and whether they're playing at the five or the four, there's just not going to be a lot of front court minutes to go around. So it made sense for that to be over, even though it was a little surprising for Rick Carlisle just to come out and announce it after yeah. Tristan had played 20 plus minutes or however long he had played. You want to take a guess at how many players the, the Pacers have rostered this year? Oh, wow. That have played in a game, I should say. Well, so yeah, so we're even counting Reggie Perry. I mean, I'm going to guess that it's, let me take uh, 22. Uh, Higher. Oh, wow. 25. It is higher. It's 27. Wow. It's a little bit juiced because obviously Reggie Perry played one game, but Dejan Giroux played a game at the beginning of the season. Nate Hinton played two games and Ahmad Caver played that one game for one minute. So, um, oh, yes. that would have been a, that would have been a deep cut. I'm not sure if I would have come up with that one. You were right though. It's uh, if you want to count players who have played uh double digit minutes in more than four games this year, it would be 22. I mean, four games or more, I should say. Um, but anyways, first thing that I think we should get into, I mean, let's talk about Terry Taylor. I know this is this is very niche for us, but like I want to dive in and just talk about Terry because he had two really good games back to back. He started last night with Goga out, uh, played heavy minutes the game before as Jalen Smith and Goga both got into foul trouble in that game. Um I mean, I just continue to be really impressed with him. I know he's not going to be somebody who's going to be an all-star. Like, obviously, like, no shit. But, um, you know, I think he deserves some light for what he's doing this year because I'm at the point, and, I, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before, Pod. I really want to see him get a guaranteed contract with the team. Um, 
or a team that's going to properly use him because I'm I like I I think that he's a good enough player and has shown enough versatility and utility to to be a regularly rostered potential rotation player. Like I put this stat out earlier before we hopped on and um currently like we've we've hyped up how he's played on the role and and what he's done as a short role passer too but um given even that it's a small sample size if you take players who uh are used as a pick and roll roller one game i mean one one possession or more per game he's second in the nba in total efficiency in points per possession I mean, that's that's just absurd with what he's doing. Like he finishes extremely well through contact. Like he had a really nice finish through Kyle Kuzma uh, towards the end of the game last night. He had some really good finishes against Milwaukee. He just continues to be a really fun player to watch. And, and one of one of the reasons, I mean, he helped me get through the uh, the ugly spot prior to the trade deadline and, and it continues to be enjoyable now. Yeah, I mean. It would be a fun contrast, like his core strength versus Corey Kispert's core strength. Like I don't, I don't know what's going on with Kispert's. Uh, or even him versus him and him and O'Shea are like inverses in terms of core strength. Yes, that's very true. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going on with Kispert's like lift on his shot and why yeah. it's so short. But Terry Taylor's like the inverse of that at the rim. Like he is so strong, but. I mean, he's still at the top of my power rankings for current on the team in terms of actual screening technique. Oh, it's for but, sure. Yeah, I mean, he. I, I don't even take my hot take back from like three podcasts. In one <laughs> mark. Like I firmly am in on that, that take because I want to know how many times you think, because I don't think he scored in the first half and then he had 18 in the second half, I think is how that split worked out. But they came out right away in the third quarter and we're just playing two-man game with him and Tyrese Halliburton on, on the left side of the floor. and. I want to know how many times you think with Neto switching out that Terry could have just slipped out of that action and got to the basket. Oh, every without, time without the wizards making an adjustment. Every I think time it, I mean, it, it like... happened, it happened twice just on that side of the floor. And then they kind of went away from it and he's just very good. I mean, if a team's going to switch, he's very good at knowing how quickly to get out of that screening to get to the basket. And the one where he kind of detonated on Kyle Kuzma, Kuzma tried to rotate over, but he probably should have been two nining knowing what yeah. Neto was handling that. But, um, and then in the fourth quarter, when they ran the double drag and Kispert screwed up the switch and he just quick, uh, slipped out of that too. And Tyrese found him at the rim. Like, first of all, really good recognition by Tyrese, but also Terry. Like, I think the best way to describe him would just say that he's constantly in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Like O'Shea and he both kind of have that quality about them, but in a somewhat different way, like with O'Shea, it's more about, you know, if somebody drives baseline, he's going to cut from the 45 and get in without um, creating traffic there. He's going to cut from the corners. And with Terry, it's about just kind of having somewhat of a fad like quality, like one of the best things that Thaddeus Young did on offense for the Pacers when he was still here was manufacturing angles for drop-off passes. Like, it's not just about standing in the dunker spot. It's actually about yeah, you know, like creating actually the maneuvering angle. in the paint and yeah, keep making that, yourself for, available. And again, I don't really know what the wizards were doing on the one possession where Jalen and Terry were both kind of in the dunker spot. And Neto was again, just standing there while, while Terry crashed to the basket, but that doesn't take away that, uh, they were executing well in the fourth quarter when they needed to be. I mean, they didn't actually win the fourth quarter, but they did enough to win the game, which is, you know, the most important part, but um, a lot of questions for the wizards in that particular contest. Yeah. The wizards are, uh, they, they were one of my favorite watches early in the year when they were playing really well together um, and, and were pretty locked in. And since about uh, the end of November, early December, it's been a train wreck. And I think you see that even more last night. It's just been a, not been fun basketball from them um both them and uh in milwaukee and this has been a staple for milwaukee this like the last month or so just sending two to the ball no matter what like like clockwork and like you mentioned i mean terry absolutely ate that up the, he had i ascended to a higher plane when he slipped that one screen i think he took like two steps caught the ball in air and had a one-handed finish at the rim it was just oh my god it was amazing like i I'm, I'm right there with you i just love watching him play him and tyrese have been really really fun together um i think i'm at the point too where like would you say like even on i, I don't know like playoff teams maybe the wrong way to put it but i i do think he solidified himself as a as like a legit rotation player not saying that he's in a top eight or anything but i think with the consistency that he's shown and his ability to just to you know he has uses in an offense that aren't just you know spacing out to the corner i mean how have you felt about that with him would you say he's around there or where are you at with that 
yeah, I mean, I think he has potential as a rotation player until he shows me otherwise. Like, I haven't mm-hmm. seen any reason to point to that and say no. I mean, one possession that I do want to talk about is when he had the rebound that was kind of the crucial play with about a minute and 15 seconds left to play. Um, again, just to point out something about the Wizards and Terry Taylor, they come out of a timeout and the Pacers are going to run uh, a sideline out of bounds play. And this is how the Wizards matched up. I just want to run this past you. So the Pacers were running this lineup, Tyrese, Lance, Buddy, O'Shea, Terry Taylor. So Terry Taylor at the five. And this is how the Wizards matched up across those five players. Denny was guarding Tyrese Halliburton flat out, which I think makes sense because he's their best isolation defender. So Mm -hmm. if they were just going to inbound it to Halliburton, okay. Neto was matched with Lance. KCP was matched with Buddy. Kuzma was matched with O'Shea. And Kispert was matched with Terry Taylor out of the timeout. Like, it wasn't like there was a cross match in transition or, you know, whatever. So it's curious to me that they right away had to have known that Terry Taylor in that particular group was going to be the screener. And the Wizards were switching everything most of the night. So they basically invited Terry Taylor to set the screen and then allowed Tyrese to get Kispert on a switch, which I told you before we got on the pod, I'm sure that there was several plays where the Wizards wanted back where they, the Pacers kind of hunted Kispert in space. And he actually wasn't bad. Like he held his own, but I think his teammates were assuming he was going to get beat. So then they were overhelping. So in this particular possession, Tyrese, Kispert was was holding up very fairly decently, but then Denny completely peeled off of Terry Taylor to kind of overhelp at the rim when Tyrese took the layup and missed. And then Terry Taylor was open for the putback and converted it and got fouled. And again, like that's, you know, Terry Taylor's been tremendous at gobbling up offensive rebounds. I don't know what his rate is, but, you know, he has that same Alizé. I think Johnson it's right quality. about 19% right now, yeah. which is, yeah, he's, it's, would it's be like, like the, the career, not not career, single season high for, for Pacers basketball players. Right. It's, it's like watching Al, it's like watching Alizé Johnson in the G League. So, like, yeah. give him total credit for the, the, you know, the big boy rebounding that he does. But um, there were several moments in the fourth quarter. You and I talked about this too, that I think Tyrese was like one of six in the fourth where he had isolations against, you know, whether it was Kisper or Kuzma or whoever it was. And he was kind of leaning on pull-up twos kind of strangely. And, you know, and then it was to the benefit there. I mean, O'Shea and Terry kind of bailed him out on those last two possessions because in both cases he was fairly well covered. And then O'Shea made that great cut from the corner to, to, create an outlet for him and Terry got that rebound. There was even another one where I forget who he was isolating against and and O'Shea made like an emergency cut to the other side. And then they did a little bit of a give and go, which uh, Tyrese ended up missing that shot too, but it kept, kept the possession alive. So I just think that like everything O'Shea and Terry did in the fourth quarter, both of them deserve a lot of credit for just how opportunistic both of them are and finding ways. Like, I mean, I tweeted it this morning, but O'Shea, does a really good job at filling cracks on defense and finding cracks on offense. Like he just very much reminds me, and maybe you'll think this is comparison is ridiculous. And I've said it before, but like a baby version of Robert Covington, he does a lot of Robert Covington like things. Oh no, I totally see that actually. Because he had a possession defensively. The one that I shared where I I think you and I both agree that when he's out on the perimeter, he can kind of struggle to hold his own on certain Mm -hmm. switches and get beat. And that showed up in both the game against Milwaukee and um, against the wizards. And, you know, he gives up strength on the interior too, but his instincts as a backline defender and the way that he slides over and what he does weak side, like what Robert Covington offers um, more so than anything he ever did on ball. uh, He just has a really good, sense for when to pounce and when not to so like he was already two nining on a play and then released and went back to Denny and then I believe it was Dwayne Washington got beat he rotated all the way over forced to pass Tyrese X'd out Tyrese got beat then he came over and helped and plugged that hole they launched a three they got their own offensive rebound and then he stepped up and took a charge like it's not going to show up like the charge will but it's not going to show up that he stopped two other shots from even happening and he does a lot of that type of stuff that I think you know, we might not always regularly recognize, especially with what the defense as a whole has looked like, but he's still functioning in a way that I think can be valuable with his ability to move sideline to sideline, even if laterally he doesn't necessarily, like I said, always hold up in isolation or in the post. But um, I think that both of them deserve all of their flowers for their particular performances against the Wizards. Yeah, no, 100%. They've been, they've been just so fun to watch, and especially not that – 
um, it didn't show up with Domas, but I think having somebody who can shift and move the court like like Tyrese has is on the perimeter, and the way that they're able to play off of him has been just kind of a joy to watch and provides the framework of like the kind of guys that you want to see around him. Um, I will say one random thing I want to bring up, and I only guess not super random because we've talked about it before. Where do you think O'Shea can most improve in the way that he's finishing at the rim? Because we saw more with him playing more at the three now. Um, you know, he's gotten some opportunities to run run out of ball screens. And it honestly, like there have been a couple of nice finishes from it that that impressed me. He had a couple of solid passes as well. Um, but he still is having some of the same issues finishing at the rim. And a lot of it feels like he makes well, as soon as contact happens, he's making inner adjustments. Is something that yep. stood out to me going back through yep. it. Like, is that one of the things that you think could could kind of improve from him? Or or where are you at with that? Because that that's definitely something that I don't know why it just clicked for me this this uh, this last watch. But yeah, it's either it's got to be one or the other. He either needs to get better at adjusting his body to actually finish and being able to to do that in midair, or he just needs to play through the contact and stop doing it. Because there are times where he goes in and just draws contact and gets to the free throw line. Now I do think you want his free throw percentage to improve a little bit. Sometimes yeah. his release on free throws can look a little bit funky too. I don't know exactly what goes on there, but. Um, I think ideally he's just going in and, and driving into guys, quite frankly, because he, he does a little bit too much where then he gets, I mean, sometimes, you know, he's not even going to be hitting the square on the backboard because he's so doing so much aerial adjustment, but um, that's my main take. I mean, that's where he needs to improve the most because if he is going to hit the three, which he didn't shoot it as well in these last two games, but if he does and he sees closeouts, you want to be able to see him finish at the basket or at least be able to make passes off of the dribble to other guys. So either one of those two areas, I think helps him, but just being able to be a cutter relieves some of it too. Absolutely. Um, well, next area that we want to get into, you want to talk about Jalen Smith? Yeah. So Jalen had some, some, I guess I don't, we don't want to come in here and be pessimistic, but I do think, you know, people have been really excited about Jalen, and I think they should be. He's he's had some really nice flashes. I've been impressed with some of the stuff he's done. His fourth quarter against Milwaukee was really solid, especially that one stint towards the end when um, I, I think he scored eight points, somewhere around there, like just showing a lot of things that are intriguing about him. He had a nice drive and, and dump off around the rim. Um, but I do think we need to curb some of the enthusiasm just because um, – Ultimately, like, well, the, the numbers have been impressive and I do think the flashes have been bright. There have also been, you know, a lot of moments where like even in that that game against the Wizards, he's giving Contavious Caldwell Pope when he gets switched on to him like five feet of space and he just cans two wide open threes right in front of him. Um, like, I think there are moments where you're seeing he's really not comfortable playing out on the perimeter yet on either end. Um, and he also is having some issues with timing around the rim as a, as a rim protector as well. Um Again, not trying to be completely unfair. Like, I think I've actually been pretty impressed with his screening. Like, now that it's awesome, but he's good at flipping his hips out of a slip and making himself available, and the rebounding's been really nice too. But, um, I mean, what did you see from from Jalen the last two games that really stood out? I mean, I think he plays back off of those guards, as a lot of bigs do, because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's why guards get those types of pull-up shots because you're not going to play them tighter. You're going to get beat. Yeah. So you're, you're going to gap there. And then that's what gives up the open three. And in general, like at some point I might have to write about it because the team as a whole, whether a big is involved or not is the word I keep using. They need to be more watertight when they're handing one player off to the next. That's why they're giving yeah. up some of these threes because the switches are just not, they're not being up at the level to take away what's going to be at the three point line. And that applies beyond just the center spot that's going just in guard to guard screens as well, especially in handoff situations. But um, I guess my bigger question would be, and they stopped doing it um, in the fourth quarter is why they were switching Tristan and Jalen in those situations. Anyways, like I, I think that they can switch one through four. I don't think they necessarily need to be switching with the player playing center and that was a problem for Jalen against the Bucks too. I mean, he was playing more at the four in that game. He started at the four, whereas last night he started at the five. But I just think they need to be more selective with what they're willing to switch, how they're doing it, and who they're doing it with. Because I'll be very curious to see when Miles is back, if they continue switching this much of the action, or if when he's available, the quarterback can be more communicative if – 
they use him to just play back line, whether an aggressive drop or a deep drop and let everyone else switch everything else. Because I think that's probably going to be their more viable means of going about it because defensively, what you're saying is true. Like, especially in the second quarter and early in the third, when they were giving up several three pointers, most of that was the product of switches. So um, I don't know how much I should blame him for that and how much I should just question why exactly they're doing it. I don't, I agree with you. I think he has some problems on the perimeter outside of the fact that he still shot the ball fairly, I mean, better than I expected him to from three made a couple against Milwaukee as well. I mean, he caught the ball in the short roll early in the game against the wizards. And when he has to put it on the ground or make a decision that things happen. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's a little bit dicey. I mean, he won, if he gets under the basket and does a drive and he has to leave his feet at all, he's probably not going to make the best decision in those situations either. Um, I did like seeing in the Bucks game when Gogo was on the short roll um, a couple times and and he cut to the basket yeah, that was and, nice. and finished like that. That was good functionality, I thought, for the group that was on the floor. Um, I like Jalen, but I'm going to be curious to see how he fits into the rotation again once, you know, because Miles and Isaiah Jackson, I would suppose, suppose are going to be soaking up a lot of the center minutes unless, you know, the team wants to see how the two of them play together and want to see how Isaiah Jackson fits playing more at the four, but hey, then, Isaac at the three, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah. You never know <laughs> when, um, when oh, you don't she, have oh, a she, three, just manufacture one. <laughs> like, I mean, that's effectively what they were doing last night. Lance was back playing minutes at the three. O'Shea was at the three buddies at the three. So I yeah, did, I'm got, just saying like, we should prepare ourselves for it. I think it's entirely possible. Uh, no, I mean, great points. I uh, I should have should have phrased it better. Like, not necessarily that it's even his fault on the on the switches. It's just like, why are we doing this? I didn't un- like Tristan Thompson hasn't been a switch defender since the last even the last Cavs title. He wasn't really like not title last Cavs finals appearance. I don't think he was quite at that level anymore. So it's just been a little bit. Uh, it, it was definitely odd to see him and Jalen too, but. I mean, I liked it a little bit better when it was at least a late switch where they were yeah. chasing over and then, you know, veering back into the roller a little bit. Like, Miles does that. I just – I didn't know why they were automatically just willing to give that up. I mean, mm-hmm. even Jalen had one even against Grayson Allen where I think Grayson Allen got him to jump around the basket and then cleared him and scored a layup. So, um, some of it was just, I thought, a bit much, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when when Miles and Ajax are back because that that fundamentally changes you know pretty much everything that we've seen the last couple of games. So I'm interested by that. Um, I think that's enough on Jalen. Where else you want to go uh, in regards to these last two games? Well, looking at the Bucks game, which were you more surprised by, <laughs> Giannis going for fifty or Buddy Heald making eight threes? And what did he finish with? Thirty six. Is that what he had? Yeah. Um, I think I, I kind of want to say neither. Um, <laughs> like I don't know. I felt like to me, not to and again, this is not to discredit Buddy, but like a lot of the way that the Bucks were playing defense and they've been kind of wonky since they traded for Serge Ibaka. Um, like they're, like I said earlier, it, they're sending two to the ball, like, like every single time. And I, it just feels like they're doing it, it almost like to the degree that it was with Nate Bjorkman last year. Like, that's how it feels with Milwaukee. Obviously they have much better personnel to, to accomplish it, but it's just kind of gross to watch sometimes. Um, I felt like that was the product of a lot of buddies stuff. I've actually been like, I don't want to say I've been higher on Buddy as a passer throughout his career, but when he has the windows, he's capable of hitting them. It's just the accuracy is not always there on his balls. Um, and I think he has had like we've seen that in you know tenfold in Indiana already. He's had some like he'll have somebody with a hand right in his face and he'll throw the ball into their hand and be like surprised that it happens. But then there are other times like, oh, he made a really nice pocket pass and he actually had some really solid drives to the rim. Like um, so I think I wasn't super surprised by Buddy just because of how the defense was playing. Um, with Giannis, I mean, I almost am shocked that it wasn't more sometimes. <laughs> like the way that he was being guarded, like he had this Euro step that started uh before the free throw line. I think he like took one step left of, of Jalen Smith, who was running back in transition, and Terry Taylor stood up like halfway. Um from the from the rim to the free throw line 
Giannis just like scooches right around him because he's just insane like that. And uh, I mean, the transition defense, especially in the Milwaukee game. Oh my God, it was bad. Um, like Drew Holiday and, and Giannis were just like constantly trying to pick apart the team in transition. Um, but yeah, I was not very surprised that that either of those happened. I guess I guess I would have to say more Buddy. I was more surprised that Buddy happened because he can just have some inconsistent shooting nights. Yeah, the Giannis thing is interesting because the very first game of the year, which I know we've brought this up before too, but you know, the coaching staff decided to have the centers guard Giannis, which I mean, generally with the Pacers, it's either been let Malcolm Brogdon do it and then have whichever one of Turner or Sabonis was guarding the weaker shooter come double if Giannis is in the post, or they've let when they had that, that was the best option, but then they've let, you know, either miles or Sabonis or whoever try to check him one-on-one. And in the first game, I felt like it was highly questionable because for me, if I was scheming for Giannis, I would want to create the longest possible obstacle course where you're forcing a higher pickup point, hopefully. And if, if he doesn't pick it up, you're at least putting more, uh, I guess I would call it like, pinball machine bumpers in there for him to have, you know, more to go through. And what the Pacers were doing in that game is they were playing miles and Sabonis at times, equaling him at the three point line. And then it was just one quick step and they weren't loading at all. Then when they came out of the halftime and they tried to load, they weren't really doing a very good job at taking his passing angles away. They were just pinching in and then getting beat from the three point line. And this game, what was interesting is I actually thought they were doing a little bit better at, at, trying to be bricks in the paint around him yeah. and he was still just getting to the basket anyways. But yeah, I don't think I was necessarily shocked that he went for 50 given who is available on the roster and kind of the overall wonkiness of having like lots of guards and combo guards and a whole bunch of people who are playing center. But the buddy thing is interesting because he can manufacture the types of shots that are always going to be there. Like mm-hmm. it's not necessarily exciting and not that these two players are identical, but like when Wesley Matthews played for the Bucks, like you can always get slide away threes. You can yeah, always no, get, that. you can always cut out to the ball and get threes. You can always get trailer threes. Like those are always going to be there. And like those shots I think are valuable for him to take because it can keep defenses on the heat on their heels, but he is taking a very high volume of shots. And like against the bucks, when you make eight threes, like, sure. Keep taking those last night against, against the wizards. I found that he was taking some very questionable shots. Like I can't say that I thought when buddy came over in the trade that I imagined, and some of it might've just been because of what lineups were out there. Like at one point, in the second half, they were running a group. Let me find it where, yeah, it was Dwayne, Lance, Buddy, O'Shea, Terry. So not a ton of playmaking there, but like he would get a switch against Kyle Kuzma in the middle of the floor. And he was just like going one-on-one ISO for pull-up twos. I can't say that I really expected to see a lot of that. And then sometimes at the wing, like if he couldn't shake Kuzma or whoever it was that he had the switch on, I don't know that I really need to see him like, trying to work to still get that shot instead of moving off the ball. Like I like it when he's relocating and I like, like I said, those shots that basically are always there. If you're the type of player that has the footwork and the skills to step into them. But um, I've been a little bit surprised at his minutes load as well as his overall shot volume. But I would suspect, or at least think that once the team is more healthy, that those will both get more reasonable, but um what was your overall take on the fact that over these four games, Buddy and Tyrese are are averaging 39 minutes per game? Yeah, I'm anti that. Um, yeah, I mean, especially I, I, like last night, I think Tyrese had almost 39 on the second night of a back-to-back. Yeah, I mean, I just don't really get it. Um, Dwayne Washington Jr., not that I think he's going to be a, a star in the league or anything, but we've seen intriguing stuff from him. I don't understand only playing him five minutes in, in the Milwaukee game. Uh, I think you could easily, you know, cut down 10 minutes between uh, Buddy and, and Tyrese and give those to, to Dwayne. Like, I don't I mean, especially for a team that not that they're not trying to win, but for a team that very clearly is not focused on uh, on being a playoff team this year. Like these are the opportunities where you you can afford to not play somebody 39 minutes per game. Not that I think you need to be playing 39 minutes per game either way, but that's an entirely different podcast as, as we saw last year and had many discussions about last year. But um, yeah, I'm hoping once the rotation kind of cleans up when guys are healthy, um, it'll be different. But at the same time, like 
the guys who are not healthy right now are in the backcourt. So um, I do wonder how much that will change it, but especially with shot distribution, like I agree seeing Buddy had a possession where like, I mean, more power to him because he did hit the shot, but I think it was either on Chris Middleton or Kyle Kuzma, one of the games, he had a drive from the slot that took like eight seconds. Like he started his drive and it took him like eight seconds to get to the rim. Like he might be one of the slowest ball handlers in the NBA um, just in terms of actual foot speed when dribbling the ball. Um, it actually, I mean, it worked for him. He got the ball in the hoop, but I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like um, I know part of why he was, I mean, he's been in trade rumors from Sacramento for like three years now. Um, ever since he moved to the bench, he's been really unhappy with being there. I would imagine that's partially played into how the shot stuff is going. Cause I know from watching the Kings this year and from talking to people in Sacramento, there was a, this is not just an Indiana thing. Right. Uh, the buddy has been uh, all over the place with his shot selection uh, for the entire year. So um, I guess I'm not super surprised by it, but I definitely do hope it kind of calms down a little bit. Cause he is like, I mean, if he railed, uh, reined in like, 90 i mean i've reined into like 90 percent of what his green light is right now i think that's a really special offensive player like he already is to me like i think he's i mean you just don't find guys who can hit shots off movement like that obviously as his worst defensively but um i mean we're, we're definitely coming in the same boat on this yeah i was curious to me too because in that bucks game in particular some of the ways that he was getting threes I can't say that I expected to see because in the very first possession of the game, uh, they posted up, they used a cross screen, Buddy set a cross screen for Goga to post up Goga and then curled around to set a back screen for O'Shea and then came around and got a top pin from Tyrese, which uh, Goga didn't make the pass quick enough to get the three, but the intention was to create a three for O'Shea. I've seen the Mavericks run that play with Luca in the post uh, a year ago when Carlisle was there. Other teams run it. Um, and then they've, they've run that a couple times with Jalen and Tristan in the post as well. So, um, I like offensive versatility, but I did raise an eyebrow a bit thinking to myself, you know, I don't know if I talked to you about it, but like one of my main talking points, the entire time that, that Sabonis has played for the Pacers is like, I think that you should always be running split cuts and motion around him when he was posting up because what his numbers were passing out of the post. And it just makes it easy, even that much easier to create threes. I like the post as a vehicle for assists in particular, especially if you don't necessarily have uh, an individual advantage over the guy that's defending you in the post. So to see them doing that in the very first possession of the game with Goga was uh, I chuckled a little bit that they it were kind of comical. <laughs> I, I, I laughed a little bit that they were willing to run that with those guys, but saw it very, very sparingly, if at all with the player who now plays for Sacramento. And then another one that I saw that I've been waiting all year because when I wrote the piece about uh, Rick Carlisle and what might translate over from the Pacers, I had clipped the play that I was like, oh, I bet the Pacers will run that at some point, and then they never did, but it's essentially a wiper where you're going to set a flare screen and then a cross screen, so Buddy would go in one direction, like what you would imagine a windshield wiper does, and then come back, and they they did those kind of like hookback screens with Goga a couple times in that game, which I actually really liked seeing to get Buddy coming back to the ball, which I mean, they do a lot of sets in that type of variation, but that was the first time I had actually seen them execute that, so I like some of the ways that they were creating threes for him. And like you said, like they just, it's kind of like, I know sometimes people would complain about how many threes Justin took in a game, but with the way this offense is like, you need to have players who can shoot off of movement and the Pacers, even though they have added shooters, like, you know, Tyrese is the best shooter on the team, buddy as well. Um, they still don't have a lot of movement shooters. It's not like they have multiples of those guys. So when you're going to run those actions, buddy's going to be the person involved in it. And also just when they're running Spain, like when it was Justin, it felt like they wanted to leak out of that a lot. And sometimes that's a counter if teams uh, drop their big and then switch the guards. That's how you'll disrupt it is just by having that back screener just automatically leak in the opposite direction. But when Buddy does it, he actually stays and holds and almost always wants to make contact and that draws attention to him. So sometimes even when he isn't getting shots, he's still uh, creating attention. And I noticed too that their double drag combinations have been a little bit more diverse in general. Like that would probably be a fun article just to write from these four games alone, just Tyrese operating out of double drags because 
of where they're stationing. Like, not that it was Turner and Sabonis running them simultaneously a lot, but that is a way if you're a double big offense to have both bigs involved and be putting tension on a tagger. It's just, there wasn't always that much tension there because neither of them are, you know, exactly lethal shooters. But if you have buddy involved as one of the screeners that makes that decision for that tagger a little bit more difficult. And, you know, then you put the big as the second screener. And if they switch, then the guards getting uh, center on the switch. So um, just a little bit more optionality there in terms of what they're doing, but I just wanted to mention a little bit about buddy having his, 36 point game or whatever it was. I don't even have that number in front of me, but um, clearly a high scoring outing. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I don't, I don't necessarily expect that to happen again this year, but who knows? It could get, it could get insane. Um, oh, yeah, you did I mention, you did mention the transition defense, which I did have a stat on that. Oh, because it's, I it's hear <laughs> Yes, you do. Because I think that, I mean, a lot of their defensive issues, it goes clear back to, I mean, this has been going on for a long time, but it's like whenever I joked, whenever they were in Dallas and Lance just happened to fall down midcourt and then the ball handler for Dallas tripped and fell over him. And I was like, that's the best the transition defense has looked in, in months or whatever. Um, they're not actually giving up. I looked on cleaning the glass this morning. They're not giving up a high volume of transition possessions. So that would suggest that they are getting back. It's just that when they do get back, particularly on possessions off of turnovers, they rank 29th in the league in points per possession in transition when the opponent gets a steal. So right now over these last, and that's just the last four games, I should say, but in the last four games, they rank 25th in turnover rate. So in reality, and I say this a lot, but what you do offensively impacts your transition defense quite a bit. Like if you're a guard and you take an early shot at the rim and you miss, that's a very fast breakable miss, especially if you fall down and you're under the basket, you're automatically putting your team, you know, at a numbers disadvantage. So with the turnovers, if they can just clean up some of what the turnovers have been, that suggests to me that their transition defense would automatically get better because it's not coming as much off of rebounds as it is turnovers but i'd have to watch it back i mean i know that we had both pointed out before um the trade that sent karis to cleveland that at times it was it was like they just weren't getting back at all like he was just watching guys and wasn't loading to the ball so i know that some of that plays a part but their actual volume of transition possessions isn't as high as i expected it to be yeah no that's uh that is surprising that is okay. That actually is a good, good stat to know. Um, well, interesting. I will pay more. Okay. I'm going to pay more attention to that. Well, I guess next week now, because we won't have to watch a game tonight, but um, one other thing I wanted to ask you too, before we dive into Tyrese a little bit more, what do you think the starting lineup is when everyone is healthy, obviously we're not including TJ because he's never healthy. So I, you know, we don't know what the timetable is still. Um, I did not mean to, to sound snarky towards TJ. It, it is what it is, but just in terms of what, what do you think the starting lineup will be post all-star break? I mean, I, I was, I was toying with that in my mind and I'm just not really sure what that is going to look like. Well, I mean, I think Tyrese Brogdon and miles are guaranteed. So I, I tend to think that Buddy – that's tough. I mean, I tend to think that you would your preference would be for Buddy to come off the bench because yeah. that's going to make his defense less um, exacerbated, and then you're also going to have spacing in that lineup. So I'm guessing Tyrese, Brogdon, Duarte, Miles, and then if TJ Warren is healthy, I'm thinking TJ Warren. But if he's not healthy, then uh, probably O'Shea. Hmm. I mean, that's just my guess. Where were you leaning? I am not sure. <laughs> I know that's very unhelpful. Um, I mean, I was thinking they might be looking like it seems like they view Ajax as more of a four. So, I like, do you think that they would start Ajax with, with Miles? I would have some reservations, but it just feels like with how um, with how some of the lineups have to be constructed and how they look, like it might honestly be easier to start with two bigs in. Um, just because like, I mean, I guess a lot depends on how interested they are on getting Jalen and O'Shea time, not O'Shea, Jalen and go with time, but I'm not entirely sure. 
I think with the Isaiah Jackson, I mean, over the summer, they made it sound like they envisioned him as a four. And in part, I wondered if that was because they knew, well, we already have Turner and Sabonis on the roster. And if we, after having just drafted this guy, project him as a five, like basically the fan base would have come unglued because you already had (laughs) Goga. Like I'm just being honest and I'm not saying that that he can't play minutes at the four. It's just, I wondered if that in part was why they packaged that the way that they did, because even in the first game, when miles didn't play in Minnesota, I think he was sick and Sabonis started. Um, Isaiah Jackson got minutes and he came in and played at the five ahead of Goga. Um, And a lot of these games when he has seen minutes, with miles out, he's played at the five when you could have, you know, I mean, I guess they don't have a lot of other, I mean, part of it's, it's, it's difficult to parse completely because they've had so many people out of the lineup to know exactly how they do envision him. Part of me thinks that what they could do is similar to what Nate McMillan did when Sabonis was a bench player, mm-hmm. which is there would be windows of space in both halves of roughly five minutes when miles and Sabonis would play together and you could get a peek at what that looks like. And that might be what they do over the back end of this season, just because, you know, I don't entirely know how they will envision this roster when the off season comes, you know, if they will lean more into building around, you know, the Tyrese, Ijax, Chris Duarte window, or if they still do envision having a mixture of veterans and, and youth and then their draft pick. So if you continue to play Ijax at backup five, and also play him like in those brief windows that they did with Sabonis, you're kind of getting a good viewpoint of both. Like if you would need Isaiah Jackson at the five next year, because let's say they pivot, like whatever happens over these 20 games, they're like, hey, you know, we want to, we think that we want to go full on youth movement. Then he's, he's gotten reps at the five if he needs to. Or if you think that you're going to keep the veterans, then he's already gotten at least some minutes at the four and you know what it looks like. Um, I think right now defensively, he's probably a little bit better at the four unless they're just going to keep switching absolutely everything and he's going to get better at his sense for how to gap the ball and what he needs to do because I just don't think he fully knows how to play the in-between game in aggressive or deep drop coverage. So if he gets to be a help defender and uses ground coverage, that probably covers up some of the rough spots that he has right now. But um, that's just kind of my overall thought. I mean, it is going to be tough regardless. I Meaning they've even let Tristan Thompson go now, and there's still going to be not a lot of minutes to go around to be finding, like you said, like if they see, and maybe they see Warren still as a three, maybe they won't play TJ Warren at the four, and then you bring Duarte off the bench as well, and it's Tyrese Brogdon. TJ Warren and then, you know, maybe O'Shea at the four and miles. Like there's a lot of different ways they could go and, and put this thing together. So um, kind of nice for them in that way that if the roster is going to be healthy by the time the All-Star breaks over, they have the whole next several days to kind of ponder how they want that rotation to shake out. But um, yeah, it is going to be tough to find certain players minutes. Yeah. Note 278 about the Indiana Pacers are really fucking weird. And I just don't know what to think about them sometimes, but uh, um, you want to talk about Tyrese now? Yes, yeah, so let's, let's do. He's been very pleasant. Wouldn't you say? Uh, extremely, extremely pleasant. Um, we said this on the last pod, like his, I mean, his true shooting percentage has fallen a little bit, but I mean, he was shooting 74%. So of course it's going to fall, but like 20 points per game on, Roughly 64% true shooting percentage right now. I think he's at 20 and 10 with the Pacers, which has been just kind of, yeah, 21 and 11 over these four games. It has been absolutely canning his threes, 45% on just under eight per game. I mean, he's been a revelation, just very fun to watch. Like already, like we talked about, he's the most gifted perimeter playmaker that the, the Pacers have had in my lifetime. I think I said that and somebody looked at me and I'm like, I don't think that I am using hyperbole. Like, yeah. I know it's only been four games, but I don't think people realize what the point guard situation is. Like, I legitimately think he's probably the best playmaking point guard the Pacers have ever had, um, at least since the ABA NBA merger, because that's what I mean. I've seen that far back, but um, like, I'm not trying to be unfair to Mark Jackson. Part of it's because I don't really like him as a person. I think he's kind of a shitty guy, but um, like, I think he's a, he's a better passer and playmaker than Mark Jackson was. And he has way more to do as, as a scorer to actually boy, what he can do as 
as a playmaker. Like, I just don't know. And I think that's the closest you get. Yeah. I mean, you don't like watching people post up 30 feet from the basket. <laughs> I, I do. I do not enjoy that, actually. And I also am not a huge fan of, uh, of how he can be on the broadcast either. But, you know. Hand down, man down. But anyways. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Um, that was that was good. Um, Tyrese. I'm struggling to recover from this now because you laughed. That's <laughs> funny. How could I not laugh? Uh, okay, so um one possession that I do really want to call out because I feel like like there was a highlights package shown of Tyrese, and I'm like, how did that play not make it? Because they were playing Milwaukee. And, you know, I, I pointed out from the Minnesota game what he did with the no-look pass where he found Jalen under the basket. But his eye manipulation is just so good. Like, yeah. um, Terry's under the basket in the dunker spot, and and Tyrese is driving from the left slot into the lane. And he completely – he leaves his feet and looks like he's going to make a jump pass to the opposite corner. In reality, that forced Terry Taylor's sync rotation to – release back to the corner and then Terry just had a wide open shot in the dunker spot. And if you're not watching exactly what Tyrese is doing, you're just thinking, Oh, you know, Terry sealed his guy and got that shot. And in reality, no, like Tyrese shifted the defenders. And it's like here, I, I wouldn't be me if I didn't include a very corny TV reference from a very dated show, but I don't know if this happens to you, but when I'm watching games on TNT, especially the second game, I almost inevitably fall asleep. And then when I wake up in the morning, charmed is always on my TV when I wake up and I don't remember which sister it is, but one of them can freeze people as the power of three. And that is like watching Tyrese play basketball. I don't know how many clips I could already show of him just flat out freezing help defenders, either with his eyes or with pass fakes. Like even just the little, this, the little possession where he ran the double drag and Tristan couldn't get anything in Milwaukee and kicked it back out to Tyrese. And then he just used a pass fake to Kiefer and then shot his own shot. Like just little subtle things like that, or what I just said before with him, getting the help off of Terry Taylor. That's not anything. And it's, it's not me trying to belittle who Karras and Brogdon are as basketball players. They both do valuable things and are fun to watch in their own ways when they're operating at, at in their best selves. But neither one of them are doing those things. Like yeah. You can point to so much stuff already where it's like, okay, yeah, Malcolm Brogdon isn't doing that. And I did want to, I don't know if you watched, did you watch any of Chad Buchanan's interview with Jeremiah Johnson before that game? I have it night? queued up to listen to, but I have not, because uh, I know they, they put it on their podcast feed for sideline guys, but I have I have not listened to it yet. Yeah, I don't know if that was a separate interview or oh, what. Separate? Okay. I don't um, know if it was. I haven't listened to the actual podcast, but, um, and then Rick Carlisle kind of mentioned it after the game. And I don't know if it was an intentional shift or this is just what they thought all along. But, you know, when they acquired Tyrese, they talked about him being, you know, a franchise caliber point guard, which I don't Mm. disagree with. But we talked on the last part about, like, I don't know how Malcolm Brogdon would, you know, receive that. Only he can answer that question, you know, given that when he was acquired from Milwaukee, it meant a lot to him that he wasn't going to be playing off ball like he was with Giannis and Eric Bledsoe. He was going to get to run offense. And I noticed that it seemed like somewhat of a shift, not that they're saying that Tyrese isn't going to run offense, but like very much that they wanted to present that they're valuing both. And then like what we said that like, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, we're going to have two point guards on the floor and both of them can do these things and put teams into rotation. And Brogdon's one of our best drivers. And so it seemed like, you know, definitely wanting to also build up what Malcolm Brogdon does. Whereas, you know, in the initial interviews, it was kind of like, Ooh, you know, I think they both can play together, but it just sounded like, you know, given things that Brogdon had said in the past, I just wondered what he thought. But um, no, that is interesting. Ahead, yeah, you go ahead and say pleasing things about Tyrese. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about the offense yet. I just wanted to say, like, uh, I mean, I had known it had been there from watching him in in Sacramento, but seeing it transfer over in Indiana, like his off ball defense is so good. Um, he's incredibly, incredibly active in passing lanes. I think he's sixth in the NBA and steals right now, but it's, it's not even about that. It's the timing that he does them. Like he'll wait until right when a, uh, like he did this to, to KCP last night. Like as soon as he's getting into a shooting motion is right when he'll come over and time his, his late contests or like he'll get, he'll get tips or blocks out of that. Um, like he hasn't got any blocks with the patients, but point being like he, he comes in and, and he just applies late pressure that some guys just wouldn't like, and I, I don't mean that to like, tear down other guys more just like build up like 
he sees the game so well. Like he knows, okay, if I leave my man right now, this, there's very few guys who are capable of making that pass. So I'm going to rotate over and, and make this play on the ball. And um, like, he just, he, he's been so fun to watch off the ball on the ball is, is a whole other story. Drew holiday absolutely ate him alive in the Milwaukee game. Um, it felt like he posted out of drives every other possession uh, on him or buddy. Um but it just like to me, it's incredibly enticing and exciting because you can see that and you're like, all right, yes, he has some stuff to to work through as, as an on-ball defender. And I do question what he's ever going to get to with that or, you know, what the highest levels are. But um, I mean, he really works to, to be an active off-ball defender. And I appreciate that a ton because this is a team that really needs that, uh, you know, as they head into a new direction. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's what's going to be curious because when you bring up the starting lineup and who would fit in it, that's in part why I think you're you might need to continue to start Chris Duarte, and not that he's, you know, a ball hawk necessarily, but I think you're going to want Tyrese off ball, and you're going to want Brogdon against the opposing team's best player. And in part, you know, a lot has been asked of Malcolm Brogdon the last two seasons, and I think that that has contributed. I don't think it's entirely the reason but I think it has contributed to why he's missed games door toward the back end of all the seasons that he's been with the Pacers because he's having to carry most of the load running offense and then in games when they play like a Milwaukee you know he's having to guard Giannis in addition to trying to continue to get into the no-fly zone of their paint or at least what it was whenever Brooke Lopez was still you know available to anchor and, and provide rim protection so um, that's a heavy load. And with Tyrese, he doesn't have to do as much of the playmaking, but I would imagine that if they keep this mixture of veterans and young players, that they're going to want Brogdon on the opposing team's best wing player, let Tyrese kind of roam and do what he does with his off ball instincts and then put Duarte on the ball, unless they're willing to do that with TJ Warren, which I mean, Nate McMillan did that in stretches against certain opponents. So did Nate Bjorkren, like you might see TJ Warren guarding uh, Devin Booker in Phoenix, or, you know, when they were really getting torn up the one game they played in Denver when TJ Warren was still healthy two years ago. I remember they cycled through about everybody that they could cycle through to guard Jamal Murray until finally it was like, Hey, we're going to let TJ Warren do this in the fourth quarter. And we're going to trap a little bit with him. Um, I do think not against every single type of matchup, but I do think TJ Warren when he's at his best is probably their best overall on ball defender. So, I mean, that's an option, but But um, even then, like not that, not to cut you off, but then the screen navigation is a problem because like he got better at that. I felt like he definitely got better at it, but it's still uh, like, even then, like, yeah, he's not awesome at it. So it's like, who is like, cause I'm trying to think right now. I mean, I don't think anybody on this team navigates screens really well. No, and that, that's why I think they're switching as much yeah. as they are. I mean, uh, genuinely. And then and then it becomes that they're not great at switching, which, I mean, they've had to take, you know, a long journey on the defensive end this year from where, <laughs> yeah. I mean, genuinely, I mean, I give the coaching staff credit because there are games that I look at and see them make pretty shrewd in-game adjustments at times of, you know, who they're putting on who and what rotations they're going to try to make to plug holes. But, I mean it's like we've always said, if you trace it, like they started out early mixing in quite a bit of zone, a lot of two, three, sometimes one, three, one, and they still do that to an extent in in certain games, but almost like they had to because of what their straight up pick and roll coverage was. And then pretty short in, I mean, when they use Sabonis, Sabonis was almost always hedging or above the level. And then slowly but surely because of what the point of attack defense was like most of the bigs were playing at or above the level including miles especially if they're in games against like elite playmaking guards like if they were playing a brooklyn then every big was doing that and now it kind of feels like they're just trying to be you know tricky like they just play opponents and want to show a bunch of different coverages because even when they were playing milwaukee it was like they were either switching i mean in both of these games really they're either switching or like tyrese was just flat out ducking under against guys that you don't really want to be ducking under against so i mean that is kind of part of the problem like if you would have asked me to re-rank the things that you asked me to power rank however many podcasts ago that was when i ended up saying like you know shooting and playmaking would be 1A, 1B, and then defense would be right there. Like, you know, at the trade deadline, they definitely tried to address 1A and 1B, but now it's it's got to be at the defensive end for either, you know, spending the summer determining what type of defensive team they want to be or 
finding some guys that are going to help them to be that because as much as I know that miles can be an impactful rim protector and what his numbers are there, I don't necessarily think at least to this point in the season, and maybe that'll change when he comes back and he's healthy and, and is maybe more engaged because he's getting to do what he wants to do that he's going to be a cure-all for some of the stuff that's going out on the perimeter in addition to what's going on in transition. Though I will say one thing that he will probably help right away in transition is that my guess is he will still be playing quite a bit on the perimeter and still be popping. So if he is popping out of like a double drag, when the shot goes up, he's going to be the first player back versus right now, you know, if Tristan Thompson's playing under the basket to get offensive rebounds, he's going to be like the last player back. So Miles is going to have a head start to be, to be, you know, the first big back around the rim, which I mean, should make somewhat of a difference on some of the transition possessions, but um, I still think they're going to have a lot to clean up. Definitely. Yeah. And I think you make such a great point too, about finding what their defensive identity is because we just don't know yet. Like, I think with how the roster is, and we've talked about how there just really isn't a wing outside TJ Moore. And even then, like he's more of a forward. So it's just like, ah, you know, um, that's what gets so wonky with the offseason and the draft, because um, like not to make this too much about the draft, but if like if today, if they had the the, the odds that they had today, I believe they would pick fifth. Um so that's putting them in the range to draft. Like, I don't think Jabari Smith, based on all accounts, he's risen a ton, would fall to four. But, like, let's say if things really hit the fan the, the next couple of weeks, they lose a bunch of games, which is entirely possible. They've gone one and three in this stretch. Um, like, that's where you start looking at the draft. Like, okay, what are we building? Because you could get somebody like Jay Ivey who, okay, then you're looking more at doing a three-guard lineup. And building around speed and having uh, like that, what you're doing defensively is going to be very different than Jabari Smith is somebody who's six foot 10 and like one of the best sizable switch defenders I've ever seen. So it's like, okay, are you building into having Jabari and, and Ijax out there or, or what is this looking like? You know, there's, there's a lot of ways to go with it. I'm very interested to see uh, what direction they choose, but. And that's they, kind uh, of yeah. like, I mean, exactly what you're saying there, what direction they choose, because um I don't know. Did you end up being able to watch Kevin Pritchard's press conference? I have not. And that is my, my bad. No, that's fine. Like it just, I mean, he essentially answered the one question and said, you know, this isn't a rebuild because we still have a lot of really good quality players. And I get what he meant, but he also sounded like there's still a lot of directions that they could go essentially what you're saying as well. And I think that that's a good position to be in. I mean, they have a lot of possibilities and a lot of outcomes that they could go in, but for you and I to talk about it, it makes it a little bit more difficult because of what I, you know, keep bringing up. Like, is it going to be a mix of veterans or are you going to be going um, and pivoting to, to the window of what the age bracket would be with, you know, Tyrese and Ajax and some of the other younger players on the roster. Um, Don't really know that yet, but it's been, it is what you're saying. Like I, they, two years ago under Nate McMillan, they definitely had a defensive identity, not only because they were a top 10 defense, but because you knew what to expect on that end of the floor. Um, They were all going to guard their positions. They were going to force turnovers as a product of the system, not the purpose of the system. And they were going to do so in a very cleanly fashion. I mean, they under Nate McMillan defended without fouling very well. Um, And, you know, didn't do a lot of switching unless it was an absolute have to, and then just mixed in a little bit of three, two zone in that last season. Then under Nate Bjorker, and as much as the defense was messy, it was still an identity. You knew that they were going to be way over aggressive. They were going to go over on every screen, no matter what, they were going to funnel everything to the rim. And while I think that was way over taxing and probably not a scheme I would have stuck with, you at least knew what they were going to do. They were going to be really disorienting with a bunch of different types of zone coverages that they really didn't know what they were doing in and looked way underbaked. Like they hadn't even practiced them, but that is what they were going to do this year. I'm not sure I ever fully knew it was like, you know, they they wanted, they wanted to address togetherness and defense, which I don't know that neither of those things completely happened. Maybe they will more so over the back end of this season, but I never fully understood what the vision was at the defensive end of the floor. Um, and, and in some respects, I like that you can go from game to game and be able to make adjustments and that they were more fluid with, I mean, Nate McMillan a lot of times didn't want to cross match guys. It was like, we defend our position and that's what we do. And I like that they've been more willing to cross match or they'll do stuff with pre-switching or, you know, whatever it is, but 
it doesn't feel like they know completely what they want to be, if you get what I'm saying. No, definitely. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So I think that that's got to be next on their top of priority lists after, you know, and they still don't necessarily have a ton of shooting, but they have made it more salvageable than what it was. Like I know they shot like four of 20 last night. I thought they still generated good three point attempts. Some of that might've just been playing on the second night of a back-to-back, but it at least has more people to be on the floor at once who are somewhat credible. Whereas, you know, over then the, first half of the season up until this point there was generally like two or three people on the court that nobody cared about as a shooter at least they have more guys now that that opponents might actually care about rather than just automatically packing the paint around you know who's ever driving or whoever has the ball on the block or whatever it is but um i think the next priority has to be the defense yeah no 100 and i'm interested to see what happens with that um do you want to hit on anything else from these last two games no i think we fully covered them yeah, no, I, I do too. Well, uh, as a quick programming note, we will be back after the All-Star break. We're going to take the week off too. Um, just kind of enjoy some time without basketball and um, get ready for what should be an interesting stretch run uh, as as the season winds down. Now that the Pacers are stretching for anything, maybe if anything, they're stretching away. Um, we'll see how it goes. But Caitlin, this was fun to everyone listening. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. You can rate us over on Spotify as well. Read us at IndieCornrows.com. And most importantly, have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.